Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. We just had Sally with Out of the Pan, and she finished with Pretty Maids all in a row by the Eagles. Sounded like a live version, actually. Yep. Which was cool. Definitely. We've got a busy studio today. We've got three people in. It's myself, Trevor. Caroline. And Megan. Yes, very crowded here today, um, but we love it. Uh, Caroline has come in because we're all trying to upskill on the panel. So we are we're all trying to learn what uh, Trev does so well. Download everything <laughs> technical from Trev's yes, brain. Yes, poor patient <laughs> Trev. <laughs> no, it's been great. It's been fun. It's nice to have more people in the studio, actually. It yeah, is. It is. Yeah, it's a it good dynamic. Good. We can do that. Yeah. yeah. For sure. So, Meg, what's today's show about? Okay. Well, um, we are talking today and the question is, can technology help us understand what animals want? Mm. That's a big question. And so technology, as we know, has progressed our understanding of the world in leaps and bounds over the past century. And in recent te- recent years, technology such as drones, digital recorders, miniaturised robots and recording equipment, biologgers and AI programs have helped accumulate and sift through a vast amount of information on animals and how they communicate. So in doing research for this show... I've had a look and and sort of come up with a, a four categories on the ways that technology might be able to you know help us communicate and really actually understand what animals want rather than what we think they mm. want. Mm. Um, and we'll go into a few of these uh, you know later on in the show. But these four main categories, four main categories on the ways that technology has is helping us understand animals are number one contextual data. So scientists accumulate a whole lot of data about animals. Um, You know, we have, you know, hours and hours of recordings on uh, whale songs and hours of video footage on bee dancers and, Mm. you know, a whole vast other array of recordings of what animals do. But one of the things that technology has brought about, and I talked in when we were talking before about uh, biologgers, uh, which is where you attach a piece of technology to an animal that can record a whole bunch of things about it, where it is, what its Mm. heart rate is, its Mm. location, what sounds it's making, who it's with, etc. And that contextual data is actually really important for us to understand what's going on at the point of when an animal does something. Who is it with? All of these sorts of things. Um, And that contextual data is not really something that we've had before technology was able to give it to us. So that's category Mm. one. Category two is accessible data. 
So the really cool thing that's um, come up in the last couple of years is the advent of miniature robots, these tiny little robots that can get to places that we can't. Uh, And on these robots, they have things like, you know, uh, micro recorders and, um, and the robots can do things and get to places that we can't. So this is accessible data. We can, you know, we know it's there, but we just don't, we can't get to it physically. Um, the third category in the, you know, the ways that technology can help us understand what animals want, and this is a huge one, and this is kind of in keeping with um, you know, that whole AI revolution, is pattern recognition. So mm. as I mentioned, we've had a whole bunch of data come across to us over the decades mm. about what's going on. But in order for a human to sift through that massive, that monumental amount of data is – is quite like it's quite inefficient and it's really nigh on impossible to get those patterns out of the data that we've accumulated. Mm-hmm. And that's the main key, isn't it? Of exactly. Trying to understand a new language is seeing the patterns because that's where the language is. Where like the meaning is. It's not yeah. just in the words. It's actually yeah. in the context and the, and the meaning, the patterns that we come across. So AI has come along and, and part of the way that it's revolutionised our world is by going through this massive amount of data that we've collected for about animals and understanding and recognizing patterns to a, a far more superior degree than we could ever do, um, you know, just by sifting through as researchers. And then there's a last uh, category uh, that technology has helped us understand animals. And this is what I call revealing the hidden truths. So uh, we have senses, all of us as humans, a particular set of senses, but not every animal shares those senses uh they can make noises above or below our range of hearing Mm, uh they can see uh you know uh, patterns of light that we can't see and these Mm. are the things that technology can help us understand about animals that we couldn't do with our own senses and you mean like Mm. an obvious example is like a dog whistle you know, that exactly. we can't hear, but dogs can hear. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Thing. And and we wouldn't know that if we didn't have the technology to record this uh, and, you know, to understand what's going on. So it's it, technology has fundamentally changed how we interact with animals. And in the, mm. as I said, in these recent years, technology is able to give us a much better idea of what's going on with animals, what they want, what are their desires, what do they need, how do they feel about the world. And it's an emerging, it's emerging science. It's not mm. in any way, uh, you know, fully established yet. There, there's so many things that we have to learn. But what does it mean for our animal friends who share this planet with us? And, and mm. also very importantly, how are we going to use this technology in future? Because I can kind of see it going, you know, a couple of different ways, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I thought I'd just start off with um, in the um, – Sorry, in the re- in the field of bioacoustics, so bioacoustics is a study of sound made by living organisms. Uh, researchers um, in this field study individual animals and they study how the sounds of these animals relate to their actions, etc. And there's also the field of what's called ecoacoustics, which is a study of sounds made by entire ecosystems. Oh, right. Yeah, which is also very important because ecosystems interact with each other. The animals in an ecosystem don't just live on their own. Mm, they yeah. work often work together. They work in competition with each other, etc. And so understanding the individuals in a system, we have to understand the system itself as well. But to sort of give it an idea of people are not understanding what you mean. It's all the difference between when one person says something versus a crowd cheering 
Yes. Like, you know, the different effect of a of multiple people doing something together or in some coordinated yes. way yep. versus one individual communicating. Exactly. Yeah. So an ecosystem um, could be an ecosy- a city ecosystem, whereas, you know, people and jobs, etc. In the natural mm. world, an ecosystem is a a location where a group of animals and plants and and a whole bunch of different organisms are working together to create something that's usually in balance. Mm. So an ecosystem is a, is a is a, a kind of like a working biological machine that's usually in balance essentially yeah, and wow. we want to understand that. And when it gets out of balance that's also something we want to understand as well. Mm. Um so, yeah, they, they've actually started to utilise artificial intelligence to sort through, as I mentioned, this, this huge number of recordings and the massive amount of datas, uh, data that's, um, that we have collected. And the emerging patterns are actually helping us to understand what these animals are saying to each other. And, mm. you know, th- this, is, this is revolutionary, really. Mm. Um, and some of the things that are going on are, are just mind-blowing. Now, there's a woman, Karen Backer. She's author of the book, uh, The Sound of Life, How Digital Technology is Bringing Us Closer to the Worlds of Animals and Plants. Now, she actually believes, and, and quite controversially to some researchers, that we will one day, and inverted commas, create a zoological version of Google Translate. So one day we yeah. will be able to... Uh, plug in the sounds, or perhaps it's the dances with bees mm. or the light you know, with other creatures, etc. Plug in this data that we're getting from animals and translate it to human speech so we understand what's going on. Yeah. I mean that was wow. the first thing that came to mind. Absolutely actually. fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Was that like I know it might sound out there, but it seems like that's the natural progression mm. of this technology and these advancements is you end up with a translator. Mm. Yeah. That can re- literally give exactly. you sort of real time information on what animals are communicating yeah i mean we're seeing these um these devices now uh so with humans uh we've now got the technology where somebody can speak a language you hold this uh, device to their mouth they speak the sentence that they want and then it will translate it into the language that you want to hear so Mm. we now actually have people walking around who don't know the language of another person but can actually navigate their way around a place that has a different language Mm. because of these devices and because of technology imagine if we could do that to animals Mm. and on a wider scale to ecosystems yeah um so there's some really interesting stories um that uh karen has has put into her book which is a really Mm. like i i would definitely recommend people checking out this book And she actually says uh, digital technologies so often associated with our alienation from nature are offering us an opportunity to listen to non-humans in powerful ways, reviving our connection to the natural world, she writes. She goes on to say, we can use uh, artificial intelligence-enabled robots to speak animal languages and essentially breach the barrier of interspecies communication. Researchers are doing this in a very rudimentary way currently with honeybees, dolphins, and to some extent with elephants as well. Wow. So to give you a couple of examples of Mm. how this is being done, and this actually relates back to your uh, show last week, Caroline, as Mm -hmm. well with Lek Mm. and the elephants. But the first example um, to give, and and this, this one blew my mind, and I... I had a look at this this research and I went, my gosh. Um, one of the things that – so a team in Germany used this tiny robot that was actually encoded with B 
bee dance. So uh, for those who don't know, bees communicate uh, mostly in the form of dancing. It's called the waggle dance, quite mm. cutely. That's really cute. Um, so what they did is they took a little robot and they uh, encoded waggle dance into this robot. They sent it into a beehive and they told the robot to tell the bees to go in this particular direction to find a source of de- nectar, find a source of food. Wow. And the bees did that. Holy wow. crap. They were actually able to speak to the bees. Mm. Now that's an that I mean you know we're talking about a commercial hive and we're talking about you know that was in particular something helpful to the bees but that kind of highlights the borderline aspect of this technology yeah, and yeah. where it could go and where it you know where it might or might not go. But there's another application um, using this newfound information as a, a form of a therapy for animals. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, as, as I said, we've accumulated all of this data and what we've actually discovered is that certain fish and corals respond well to sounds of a healthy coral reef. So what they do is they go into damaged reefs and they play an audio file of what a healthy reef sounds like and they found that the behaviours of fish in that reef, in that damaged reef, but also importantly the coral, um, respond to those sounds. Yeah, wow. That's incredible, isn't it? It's amazing. Absolutely incredible. Coral regeneration can Mm. actually be speeded up um, using the sounds of a healthy reef. And this really shows you how um, interspecies ecosystem bioacoustics and the interaction of species is important for an entire ecosystem as a whole. Mm. They're communicating with others. We need to start communicating with them and and listening to them as well, Mm. importantly. Um, so, yeah, I thought I'd go and have a look at another uh, one. So, essentially, Backer in her book goes on to tell a story of a researcher, Katie Payne. Now, she's one of the heroes of the 20th century bioacoustics uh, research movement. And she was actually a classically trained musician. So, she was very big into sound. Now, after doing some amazing work with whale sounds, and as people who've listened to this show know I'm pretty <laughs> obsessed with whales and whale sounds, uh, as well as chickens. We haven't mentioned that on the show yet, but anyway. <laughs> it's been a while. Oh, I know. That's, to we, come. That's We to have, come. actually. And, you know, I, ha- I have not got anything on chickens <laughs> in this one, amazingly enough. But, um, yeah, so she was one of the first people to discover through technology that elephants make sounds below our human range of hearing. Now, um, this is a sound called infrasound. So below the human range of hearing, uh, and I think uh, above the human range of hearing is called ultrasound. So there's two types of sounds that our humans can't, he- our human ears can't yeah. hear, and the only way that we know they exist is through technology. Um, now, you you might have touched on this uh, with Lek, and Nick, Lek probably knows all about this as well. So uh, infrasound, uh, um, elephants actually, a significant portion of their communication with each other is through infrasound, is through sounds that we can't hear with the human ear. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And just in case people are wondering, like, I just know a little bit about sound, and so that the average bottom of a human hearing range is 20 hertz. So the mm-hmm. in, the this infrasound that you're talking about um, is 
by definition, it would be lower than 20 hertz, which is not a very wide range, but it might also mm. include some of those low frequencies a little bit above 20 hertz because we don't hear them very well. Mm-hmm. Like our yeah. hearing really diminishes once it goes down past sort of 60, 50 hertz. Like that's, these are really low bass rumbles. And that's mm. the other side is that even though you can't hear it, you'll feel the rumble. Mm-hmm. Yes. If it's loud enough, you'll yes. feel the vibration of yep. objects vibrate because that's what happens when sometimes, like if you've got a subwoofer that's, you know, mm. at, at a movie theater and you can, you feel this shaking, but you can't actually hear a frequent, like you can't hear a sound, but you, you feel the shaking and the rattling. Yes. Or mm. even with cars, sometimes people will feel the wall shaking, but they can't hear the exhaust yet. And then once it revs up, then you hear the exhaust, but you couldn't actually hear hear what was causing the mm. walls to shake that's all that infrasound because it's below those you know average 20 hertz but it's it's not a, it's not a big range really like for them no. to have a lot of communication yeah. in that range is pretty amazing it, mm. it is absolutely and you know we never would have known about this we never would have known about that rich world of communication that elephants undertake with each other if mm. we didn't have a form of communication technology that was able to record and pick this up mm, yeah. and one of the things that was a mystery to uh to researchers was how elephants communicated with each other over vast distances we just didn't know how they did it and um and now with the advent of the technology or the application of that technology to uh, elephant communication, we now know how they do it. They do mm. it through infrasound yeah. because it travels quite a distance, as you would know, Trev. Well, that's mm. the thing. Yeah. Also, yeah. the lower a frequency of sound, the, the longer it travels without interference and also the more mm. different types of mediums it can travel through. Yes. So it has to go through the ground. It could go through trees, can go through mm-hmm. walls. That's why whenever you hear noise coming from a distant room, the high sounds are muffled but the low sounds mm. are what carry through. Like when, when someone slams a door, you hear the thud. You don't hear the high-pitched crackle of the, the door handle or anything or the locking mechanism. You hear the thud because that carries mm. through. The yeah. high-pitched noises get absorbed by the walls and by things in the room and they don't pass on. And this mm. is, I'm guessing, the way that um, whales are able to communicate on such vast distances as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because so, the... The higher the frequency for it to carry a further distance, it needs to be louder. So as you go higher for it to carry through things or over distance, like through objects or over a longer distance, has to be much, much louder. And bass or low frequencies or sub frequencies or even Mm. infrasound doesn't have to be as loud to carry as what the alternative would be in those higher frequencies, if that makes sense. So you can actually conserve a bit of energy or you don't have to shout as loud if you're using those low frequencies. They'll just carry naturally further and longer and through different things. That's amazing. Mm. You are such a source of uh, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things sound. This is brilliant. And, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder um, if animals are using this infrasound and whales are using this infrasound, how many other animals that we have not yet applied this technology to that might be using this as a means of communication and, and, mm. and like a, a mm. significant portion of their means of communication. So, you know, we might only be hearing the surface level um, sounds that come out of an animal and not understanding that that's only the tip of the iceberg. So, mm. Well, also on in yeah. that, the, the infrasound, if we're calling it the, that low sound, yeah. could only be the tip of the iceberg because ultrasound, the high side of the frequency, extends almost unlimited in, in, in scope because yeah. we hear to about 20,000 hertz is the, the highest that human can hear. 
Um, and as you get older and as you hear things, that normally dulls down to about 15,000 hertz is the highest that you can hear. So the highest mm. frequencies you can imagine are 15,000 hertz, but dogs can hear up to 30, 40,000. You know, bats can hear even yeah. higher. And it just keeps going. You've got 100,000, 200,000, 500,000 hertz. Like it just, the amount of, I guess, the range for a lot of different communication and different sound data above our hearing is so much larger than what's below. Oh, that's so, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and again, it's an example, you, you use bats. And so bats, we know, use those are those higher frequencies. And we've been studying that using technology because we mm. can't use our own ears mm. and understanding how they do things and how they navigate their world, um, which is just, it's absolutely fascinating. And we've gotten so much out of that as well. Um, so yeah, it, it's such a it's such an interesting area to use technologies to find these hidden ways of communicating mm. that we wouldn't have known about. Mm. Um, and it's interesting also uh, to note that Backer, so the author of the, the book that I mentioned, which I will actually put a, we'll put a link um, in the the show notes at the end um, when we put up online. She points out in her book that Indigenous culture and communities around the world have long been aware that animals have their own form of communication. And while Western scientific establishment has historically dismissed the idea of animal communication outright, um, with many of the researchers back of highlights in her book, um, and you know the ones that we've talked about, um, they have initially faced intense pushback from the scientific community when they've suggested that these whales and elephants and turtles and bats might have a language of their own. Really? Absolutely. In fact, many of the scientists um, spend as much time pushing back against the pushback as they did doing their own research. Um, Wow. Because much like our societies, scientific establishment still has this overarching notion that animals are simply just dumb beasts. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know... There, there's a good, mm. there's a good reason for scientists, scientists in the scientific establishment to be conservative. We need a lot of data in order to make a conclusion. We need it backed up. We need solid evidence, and we need repeatable evidence, etc. Mm-hmm. So we'll, it's not just hunches or guessing. Exactly, yeah. and it's mm-hmm. also not anthropomorphization as well, which yeah. is you know the yeah. the idea that we push what we feel as humans onto animals because we see them do a similar thing. Therefore, we say, oh, they must be thinking this because this is what we think. Yeah, and of course. You know, that's not very scientific as well. Um, But what we also have on the other end, when these researchers and when this data comes in, we also have a tendency, which isn't very scientific, to dismiss outright these um, the the incoming data that shows us what animals want and and that they are more complex than what we give them credit for. Mm. Um, And whilst it is good to be conservative in our assumptions – it is also good to be open-minded to the idea that animals are far more complex than we give them credit to. Yeah, because absolutely. time and time again, researchers and these researchers who've been fighting and, and pushing back against this whole idea of dismissal of these things, time and time again, the accumulated data has proven the establishment wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, They get it wrong when we look at the complexity of animals, when we look at the cognitive capacity of animals, when we look at what animals want, um, when we push our views onto mm-hmm. what they want. And this is where technology has the, um, the potential to be so helpful in, in 
giving us an idea of what they want and therefore having us work together more with animals Mm -hmm. in our world because we do share a planet and we do need to share resources but at the moment we're not really doing that are we no and part of that is that we don't know what they want exactly but then also there's the part as we know as activists that half the world doesn't care most of the world doesn't care you know we we have this system where it's an inherently exploitative system because we think that these creatures are ours to use Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and we fight against that but this is basically a part of our mental toolbox our activist mental toolbox in order to do this Mm. but what i thought we could do is maybe go on a break uh have a bit of a music break um we're going to listen to uh cashmere and tiger lily's um uh, invisible children
Gas is a toxic fossil fuel, yet gas exploration by sonic explosion is planned for the Otway Basin. Seismic blasting kills plankton and deafens whales, disrupting their migration. This blasting is opposed by coastal communities from Geelong to Apollo Bay and Warrnambool, who strive to protect the ocean ecosystems. Bring Whale Song into Nam City, Friday the 15th of September at Queen's Bridge near Flinders Street at 4.30pm and onto the State Library for 5.30pm. Rally for Whale Song Not Gas is hosted by Extinction Rebellion, a 3CR supporter. Australia's energy market is broken. Right, but Co-Power gives you better energy? Nope, no retailer can control where the electrons they buy off the grid come from. But as a Co-Power member, you can vote on where 100% of revenue goes. So instead of corporate profit, your energy bill builds the world you want to be a part of. That's cool. Learn more about the solidarity economy and Co-Power today and take the power back. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Freedom of Species. You were listening to Kashmir and Tiger Lily's Invisible Children. Today we're talking about if technology can help us understand what animals want, mm, which yeah. as animal activists and people who are interested in animals is something that we need to concentrate on because we're always, you know, looking at how we can be the voice of animals, you know, what do they need, what do they want, how do mm. we make that the world a better place for them. Mm. Why don't we employ technology to try and figure out what they actually want themselves? Yeah, yeah exactly. Which is a really, you know, and we always talk about um, – placing the animals first in the sphere of activism that we do because the animals are the top priority in Mm -hmm. in this sphere of activism. And, you know, this kind of thing, you know, even though it can go several ways, you know, and we're teetering on, you know, and we'll talk about the ethical ramifications of this technology in the the third portion of it, it is something that could – revolutionize our way of interacting with animals both as activists but also as a society as a whole so you know we were talking um about um karen backer's book which again i'll link in the um in the details when we put the pop the podcast up but um we were talking sort of about more wild animals in that respect now something a part of technology that has only really at this point been applied to companion animals is something that i want to talk about now Uh, and this is the uh, communication by pressing these little word buttons Um, they're also called soundboards um so you might have seen some cute little YouTube videos of, in particular, dogs, which is where it started um, uh, with, uh, you know, these uh, dogs and cats using these word buttons, which are also called soundboards, to communicate with their human family. So basically mm. the animal is trained to press buttons that say particular words and to associate these words with their meaning and then communicate what they want to their uh, human family via these buttons. Um, so the technology, as I said, was first uh, developed for dogs. It's now often used also by families with cats as well and also um, by mm. researchers. Now, there's actually quite a bit of research that's emerging. It's, an, again, a new technology. It's only really been applied in the last couple of years. Uh, and the data is incoming. That you know, the, da- the data is something that's just going to be continue to be accumulated. But... Um, a professor of cognitive science, uh, Federico Rossano, says that one of the things that will emerge from this use of technology, these uh, button-pressing soundboard uh, you know, technologies, 
uh, will be that we can determine which thought processes and ideas are uniquely human and which are actually shared across the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from the observations that he's made so far, it seems that one of the characteristics of language and cognition found in humans, i.e. the development of sentences, isn't just a human trait, that in fact dogs are actually able to form sentences once they've understand they've they've learned enough of a vocabulary enough amount of words to actually string these sentences together. And this gets me into, and and this absolutely fascinates me. I mean, who doesn't want to know the mind of a dog? What's your dog thinking? (laughs) You know? Can I I just say though quickly, it's it's so interesting that even in that, um, the starting point is what, like most things are uniquely human, but what's not uniquely human, you know? Exactly. It, it's, it's so interesting. That it's like, oh, yeah. obviously the things that we do are probably just us, uh-huh. but maybe there's some of the things that we do that other animals do as well. Yeah. Maybe. We're not sure, but maybe. And that, that's the starting point. It's it, not this that we're all yeah. animals, that we're all fairly equal, and that we've all got our own ways of doing the same things, which is what yeah. my starting assumption would be. In a sense, that's not really very surprising, though, is it? When you think about psychology... And there's a term used in psychology called heuristics. So when you are taking on new information, essentially you are filtering that against what you already know, Ah. right? That's how you process it. That's how you retain new knowledge. Yeah. So that's why we understand human behavior and we're trying to, I guess, filter and process um, the behavior and the wants and needs of other animals mm. against what we already know through our own like, experience in a simplified way it's just like it seems like the starting point is animals Us. Uh, can't do anything <laughs> or hardly do anything at yes. all but what can they do that might be similar to all the things that we do that they can't do that yeah. seems to be the starting point yeah which is so frustrating it's an anthropocentric anthropocentric starting point yeah. for sure and i can understand like i think that there's maybe a couple of things that influence that starting point, that natural starting point for people. And one of them is when we talk about scientific accumulation of data and proving theories and, and you know, in scientific endeavour in general, we are starting from the, the assumption that we know nothing, essentially. So I think what we're trying to do from a scientific point of view is say we will not make any assumptions about what the animal can do, therefore we believe the animal can do nothing, essentially. Mm. That's one point. But then as you've as you've said, we've got this idea that animals are these dumb beasts. They're just mm, sort of yeah. biological automata who just go about mm. their normal day and it's all biologically programmed and there's no higher cognition at all and there's you know there's nothing there. There's nothing behind the eyes of a dog mm. or a cat, etc. Now um, and, and we could say, look, you know, maybe that scientific endeavour of starting from nothing is what the science community, uh, you know, is is going from. However, scientists are humans. And if we mm. have a look at the way animals are treated by humans, and, and in this, this is not just in the way science treats animals, it's also in the way science treats any kind of incoming data that, that, biologic, sorry, that society has a sort of a, a, a bias against, essentially. Mm. Now, looking at these videos of these, um, you know, these cats and dogs pressing these little buttons, um, I actually came across a number of animal behavioralists who were talking about this and they mm. were actually quite dismissive of it mm-hmm. um, because and, – and, but – what I remember when I watched these animal behaviorists talking about it and listening to the context of their criticism of this, 
I was also keeping in mind the idea that, again, science is balking against this idea that these animals are complex, and it and it it would not be it would not behoove them to say, oh yeah, hey, that animal is doing all of this complex stuff, and it's actually you know it, it means it. Mm. But on the other hand, I think we've got this outright dismissal, this outright dismissal of something that is coming up. It's repeatable data. We are getting a lot of data about it. And it seems to indicate that these animals are doing something that is beyond our current understanding Mm -hmm. of what they do. Mm -hmm. So one of the most famous um, uh, in the word of the word button users is a dog called Bunny. And um, again, I'll link in the uh, in the show notes to Bunny's YouTube um, channel and, and you can see Bunny do all of this sort of stuff. Now, she participated in a study of language learning in dogs and she learnt enough words to form sentences um, as we spoke of before. Now, in a couple of instances, um, it's quite interesting what what she did. And this is – I want to sort of talk about these stories because, you know, this is the sort of thing that an animal behaviourist is dismissing currently. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's a lot of people who have companion animals in their lives or who have had – we kind of perhaps look at all of the data and we're not just anthropomorphizing, I believe. I think that we know that there's something there. There's definitely something there that's that's being dismissed currently. Mm. So one of the examples of Bunny's sentences is um, the Bunny lives with another animal. It's a cat. They are a cat. And um, the cat was actually high up somewhere. Now, mm-hmm. Bunny wanted apparently the cat to come down and play with her. Mm-hmm. So she formed the sentence, dog want cat down. <laughs> At, so by pressing all of these buttons, dog want cat down. Yeah. And so it was indicated from this for, to the family that she wanted the cat to come down from the high position and play with her. And that's really interesting because Bunny wasn't um, – taught to use those buttons so she knew the meaning of those buttons but she wasn't taught to use them in that order she figured that out herself Mm, yeah here's another instance of bunny's communication capacity and again i think this is the reason why we can't really dismiss this so um at one point she went over to her soundboard and she pressed two words and the two words were mad and ouch and when her human inquired, where is your ouch, uh, she responds by pressing the button poor, right? And it's what she does after this that is absolutely mind-blowing. So now after this, she comes over to her, her human and presents her paw to her human. Who A human looks at the paw, inspects it, and finds a small wooden spike, embed, a spike embedded into the paw. Mm-hmm. So Bunny was able to communicate uh, I have an ouch on my paw and then when – oh, sorry, I, I have an ouch um, and then when – and understand the question, where is the ouch, mm-hmm. say paw and then come over and present the paw. Yeah. So in all of those things, and again, you know, like we can dismiss this completely or we can say, oh, my gosh, Bunny is a genius. We can go either way, but the data is indicating that something's there. There, yeah. there, there, is, a, there is a level of cognition that mm-hmm. these buttons are indicating to us that we've not been able to prove before. We've not been able to see it up front as much. Mm-hmm. Now, um, cats also use these soundboards. And uh, one of the most popular cats on YouTube, and again, I'll, I'll link 
I'll link to uh, Billy's YouTube channel. I mean, honestly, sure, this is all for science, but you could go down the rabbit hole of entertainment in all of these videos. <laughs> they are brilliant. Um, so, yeah, Bunny, uh, Bunny's channel is called Bunny Speaks. And quite unsurprisingly for a cat, one of B- Bunny, Billy's, sorry, Billy, sorry, B- Bunny's the cat, Billy's the dog. One of, uh, quite unsurprisingly, one of Billy's uh, favourite words is the word mad. Uh. <laughs> and I, as someone who's had a cat in her family, I am not surprised. Um, <laughs> she also shows a preference for her human dad over her human mum. And it comes up in her videos, uh, sorry, in her in the videos of her, um, you know, using her soundboard, um, which it just becomes really clear from these. And, you know, the, the, Billy's asking, where's dad? And mum goes, see dad later. And then and Billy goes, mad, 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 <laughs> mad. <laughs> just keeps pressing mad. <laughs> you know, and, and um, you know, even putting uh, science aside, it's really interesting to listen to the human family members talk about how their relationship with their animals have, their companion animals has uh, evolved after mm-hmm. using these soundboards. And at the very least, we know that these soundboards enrich uh, the lives of these animals because they do whatever is happening here, and not to read too much into it, but also not to dismiss too much, whatever is happening here is allowing the animals to communicate better Mm. on what they want with their humans. Mm -hmm. That is the outcome, the practical outcome of it all, regardless of what the researchers argue about. And Mm -hmm. researchers are arguing about the depth of understanding these animals have when they use these soundboards. So, yeah, it's just such an interesting um, thing that we have with cats and dogs. And Mm. it's it's kind of... um, you know, th- this research that we're doing at the moment is 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 sort of something that is uh, done with companion animals. But after the song break that we're going to have shortly, I want to talk about the ethical ramifications, but also moving that sphere of technological listening to animals, mm. perhaps not just to wild animals and also to our companion animals, but also to animals that we see as food or as accessories, et cetera, our society sees that and what they might say about Mm. their lives. Mm. Uh, So let's uh, go to a song. Trev, uh, do you want to announce this one? Yeah, this one is a local vegan musician. Her name is Steph Bitter, and this is one of her newest songs called The Straw. Die. 
But they don't care about your life It's for the taste, the greed and the pride Melbourne I found a food not bombs fly on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable yeah I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch we I guess rescue food that would otherwise go to waste I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it we make a real point at food not bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org Food Not Bombs is the 3CR supporter.
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Freedom of Species. Uh, you are listening to us and that was Steph Bitter with the song Straw. Steph is a local vegan artist. We are talking and we're in the final segment talking about how we can use technology to talk to animals and find out what they want. Mm, mm. Um so yeah, we were we were talking a little bit in the break, and um, Carolyn, you just mentioned a little bit about um, those stories. Yeah, I was really fascinated in that segment about the soundboard. So Bunny the dog and uh, Billy, Billy, yes. Billy the cat, <laughs> and what they were communicating were about their innate desires. So we're talking about high level cognition, aren't yes. we? We're not talking yes. about them. Um, necessarily just speaking about their physiological safety although bonnie Mm. did mention ouch she had a sore paw Mm. but you know she also wanted the cat to come down so she could play with the cat Mm. the cat actually said where's dad like i want to hang out with dad mad 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 where's dad yeah right so again in terms Mm. of sort of dismantling that species attitude that prevails through society. All they think about is safety, food, safety, food, sleep, exactly. all that sort of stuff. That's ab- this, what this is showing is that's absolutely not correct. No, mm. not at all. They're also looking for enjoyment. They're looking for other types of connection. Companionship and love. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting to note that a lot of these, um, uh, so they can be recorded by human family members, a lot of them have love you. And a lot of the animals will use love you and then come over to get pats and to show affection and everything. Oh. And and that's actually, it's obviously not a physiological need. So, yeah. you know, this is, again, a higher state of cognition, a, a want yeah. for companionship. Now, it's interesting, when we put up this... Um, uh, this podcast onto the the, web, the 3CR website and when we put it onto the podcast platform, sorry, what I'm going to do is I'm, we're going to put up a, a piece of artwork. Now, there is a, a an emerging artist called Little Vegan Artist and they have recently been doing some amazing artwork that centres around the plight of animals. And when I discovered Little Vegan Artist, I uh, actually approached them and said, hey, would you be able to do some artwork for our show? And they were actually really excited. And I said, well, look, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this in time, but in a couple of days' time we're doing a show on um, technology and using it to communicate with animals and talking to them about, you know, what I was going to talk to, talk about. And they went, yeah, I reckon I can do this. And they sent me a picture of a pig using one of those talk soundboards saying, please don't eat me. Oh. And that actually influenced the way that I looked at this show and the content mm. of this show because I'm thinking, well, hang on a sec, we're just using this for, uh, well, firstly, the technology that I was talking about in the first segment was about wild animals and communicating with them. The second part of the segment was about talking about the soundboards and how we use them for companion animals. But here's mm. the kicker. Using that pig to for that soundboard, I was thinking, hmm, pigs have been demonstrated and this is absolutely backed up by science, that they are as intelligent, if not more intelligent, than dogs. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where the ethical conundrum of, of this technology and, you know, the fact that it could go one of two ways. Now, 
I thought to myself once I saw that beautiful piece of artwork and I, and I would definitely, and I'm going to link their um, uh, their Instagram as well just to see these beautiful pieces of artwork that just, that you, they're very cute but they make you think. I saw that and it made me think and I went and the thing that went through my mind when I saw that beautiful piece of artwork of that pig pressing that button is I said to myself, what would a traumatised pig in a factory say Mm. If they had the opportunity to press those buttons, what would yeah. they what would they tell us about their life? How would they communicate with us about their wants and their desires and their needs? What would sheep and cows exactly. on transport trucks and, be telling and chickens us? Chickens in those terrible you know conditions. Mm-hmm. What would they say about their lives and what they want? And at that point, I realised that one of the ways that we could use this is great and one of the ways is terrible. Mm. So if we have a look at the two ways that we can use this technology that we've been talking about today, one of the ways is to literally develop a kinship with animals, a greater understanding and a greater working relationship with the animals that we share the planet with because we better understand them and we better understand their wants, their needs and their desires and how they interact with the world. We could create something here on planet Earth that not only served us, but also served our animal friends that share mm. this planet. The other way, and we know what we're talking about as activists because we see it every day, the other way is the terrible way. Because as Francis Bacon said, knowledge is power. And power is the ability to manipulate and control your environment and those around you. The other way is to use this information, to use the needs and the, and, the, and the desires of these animals to further exploit them, to further exploit that pig in the factory, to further exploit that cow that is going to slaughter. How do we fatten them up quicker? How do we get them to do things that cost us less so mm-hmm. that we can you know, get them to, to be food or, or to be whatever product they're going to be with as little money as possible and totally disregarding what their feelings are and simply using that information for our own personal gain? And my heart just sank when I realised that that was – I mean, technology in itself, as we know, technology is not a negative or a positive. It's how we use it. Mm. That's that right. really matters. And so how are we going to use this, folks? You know, how are we going to use this technology? And and it's up to us as activists and it's up to us as people and society as a whole to push for a better usage of any technology that we have. Mm. And this animal communication technology is something that we could use in our activist toolbox, as I actually mentioned previously uh, earlier in the show, This is a massively, revolutionarily, uh, fundamentally good tool for the activist toolbox, you know. And how many people, if they saw what what that pig said, you know, or or what that chicken said, and and we could say, yes, this is what they want, how many people would that change? Mm -hmm. How could we get them to change? Yeah. Your thoughts on it? Well, I was going to say on a more sort of positive side instead we've only talked so far about animal to human communications but the other side of this is you could actually have animal like species to species communication between animals it would be probably more difficult to 
but I think something with like domesticated dogs and cats would be mm. probably like the early sort of steps of what to do. You'd be able, you could even be able to get them to be talking the same Speaking. language in a way, not the same yeah. language, but understanding each other and having a conversation. Effective communication between yeah. species. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, instead of us being the middle people. Yeah. You could no. have the dog somehow being able to tell that cat, I want you to come down and play with me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because it could push a button that made the meow sounds that would say it in cat language. Yeah. Rather than just having to filter through our English versions, which it currently is. But this newer technology mm. could mean that it gets replicated in the animal sounds of, of their of that species language. That the hypothetical mm. animal Google translate. Yeah. Yeah. I like and, that. I like that positive note. <laughs> yeah. And I guess on that positive note, we have to end the show uh, as fascinating as it has been. And one of the reasons why I picked the next song that we're going we're gonna to end with, it's, um, by, it's Follow the Sun by Xavier Rudd. Now, Xavier Rudd's actually mm-hmm. a, a local vegan musician. He's also been involved in um, animal advocacy as well. And I come back to this song time and again because it's a very soothing and healing song and there's so much wrong with the world and we're trying so hard to make it better that we really do need to have self-care self-care and that soothingness and I really find this song does the trick. So thank you everyone oh, to uh, for listening today and yeah. thank you Trev and Carolyn for coming along and, Great and topic. all the fun that we've had. And keep listening. Yeah. Up next is Rotations. Grace will be taking you with an hour of music for Rotations. But uh, yeah, we're finishing with the Xavier Art track. Yeah, take care everyone. Thank you. Small man
express Tomorrow's a new day for everyone A brand new moon, brand new sun Does your heart say? listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.